0: Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Our scripture reading today is Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He has cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Well, happy Sabbath to you. This week, we're going to be continuing what we started. Like we usually, we live in a world in a day and age that we don't believe that there is a battle going on. And that sometimes is for our disadvantage. I remember when I was still a boy, like I was just recently being converted. Uh, I went to a boarding school, Adventist boarding school. I wanted to go to seminary after that. I was like still finishing high school and I was uh, working in a print shop like that was outside campus. I had to walk for about two miles to get to my job. I used to walk every day to, to my job. And uh, people started to notice. And like I had nice tennis shoes and Brazil back then were like shoes like a Nike or a Reebok or things like that were like prized possessions. So uh, some people started to look to my shoes and they had a nice idea. Let's got Let's get this guy. He's skinny, so let's let's his skin him alive. <laughs> and uh, I was going to my to my uh, job, and uh, I out of a sudden I felt that I was uh, surrounded, uh, by thieves. Like they wanted to to get me, and like I was in front of a place of worship of one of those, uh, I don't want to say the name of the religion because I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, it's one of those places that we uh, normally associated with uh, uh, devil worship. But back then, I really, I know that there was a devil, but I I had that mentality still, that like, oh, those things don't really happen. Like it's, we read on the Bible, but that's back then, like today, they don't, they don't show up. So, like in between the chiefs and uh, my way out that was entering on that, on that place of worship, I had no second thoughts. I entered on this thing, I sat like a uh, midway to the, to the place. It had like, it was about the size of our congregation here in terms of size, so I I sat more like on the middle. And uh, the guys didn't uh, come in. The place was packed. So my hopes was like at the end, once uh, people left the, the place, I would just like mingle there and go out my, and go my way. But I saw something over there that I uh, like freaked me out. Like uh, they were like doing all those things. And like I saw, a kid or not uh appeal like that, levitating, like this high. And like a for like a fourteen, fifteen year old kid like I was almost designed that I was back with the thieves. <laughs> uh, but that was a eye-opening experience for me. Because early on I started to realize that there's more on that battle between good and evil than what we can describe by Laws of physics uh, and I was positive that there was a was a evil influence on that place, and that that evil influence was real because what else could make that uh, uh pill levitate so that was a life changing uh experience for me in uh this experience. I started to think, what else I don't know? What else I don't know? And uh, once I grew up and discovered that the Bible talks from Genesis to Revelation, that there's a war going on, I wanted to learn more. And that's why we are sharing those discoveries together. What we have learned so far? We learned so far that there's many things that we don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. The Bible, but we learned uh, on our very first meeting two weeks ago that there's uh, a lot of stuff that the Bible tells us about this co- controversy. But there's a lot of stuff that the Bible doesn't. And though, and what the Bible doesn't tell us is things that we don't need to know. So let's leave them there. Uh, the other thing that we learned is that. God does not always get what he wants. What I mean by that? It's because God grants free will to his subjects. So he cannot make you love him. He cannot make you uh, do things uh, that you don't want to. Why? Because he loves you so much that he respects your free will and because of that, he opened himself to the possibility of not having what he he wants all the time. He wants everybody to love him out of love, but many people decided not to, including the, or our enemy, the devil. And uh, the uh, we also learned that's more to that story. There is a. Uh, more that we cannot really uh, see on the surface, but if we dig to the scripture, we will find what's more that cosmic conflict helps us to make sense of all those things that are going on in the universe. And there's there's four views uh, uh, in how people see that thing about the conflict and. Uh, that is on the scripture and the conflict that uh, we have on the world. One, the first view is like uh, what I call determinism. They believe that since God is the source of everything, He is also in control of like our evil. So He is the source of our evil. And we saw already that that view is not a biblical view. A second view. That adds another dimension, they know oh, okay, God is the source of all things, but creatures have free will, so because creatures have free will, they can choose to do things that are contrary to the will of God, and thus we have a lot of uh that explains a lot of the evil that we have on the planet and uh but that that's still an insufficient view, although there is biblical basis to believe that way, it's not a complete view. Why? Because it doesn't help to explain other things that we call uh, acts of God, or like uh, natural disasters, and other types of evil that are not directly related to uh, the free will of creatures. So that brings a a 3D view. That's the the view of the cosmic conflict, where we see that there is a cosmic conflict going on uh, okay creatures have their free will but sometimes there are things that God wants to avoid but he cannot avoid because of the war that's going on and today uh, we're gonna shed light on this a little bit more like uh, when uh, on the story I met I I told here about the kids I mean about Tanya for the kids Like uh, I made the question and that question was really intended for you. Could you imagine if Tanya had said no to her father? Like she didn't know why. Her dad didn't explain why and why he didn't explain why. Because if he knew, if he told her there's a crocodile behind you, she would freak and would make things worse. She would get all agitated and then the creature would jump on her. And that would be the end of the story. But by faith, can I say, like that, Tanya accepted to go. And then later, when she saw the full picture, she understood. And that's the position where we are today. Like sometimes the Bible tells us what we need to know. Like the Bible tells us, get out of the water and does not explain why. But we're going to have eternity to know those things that we don't know and that the Bible does not give the the right perspective. And I want to remind you that that great controversy is real. I want to read that uh, quote I read last week. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He's not an Adventist. He's a Anglican, but he he had to confess that when he started to re- read Scripture, when he read the New Testament, just the New Testament by itself, he could not deny that uh, there is a war out there. He could not deny that uh, there is something going on that he could not explain. And uh, his how he ends that quote is what I really uh I really like about him about that quote It's like that he says that like we are now living in enemy territory, that's what our world is. We are living in enemy territory, so if the world around you kind of is messy, if the world around you it's uh kind of resembles a war zone. It's not by coincidence. We live in a war zone, and we have to be aware of that. Because you don't want to be walking on a war zone, not knowing who is with you, who is for you, and who is against you. That's why we're going to look to more of these uh, details later. Uh, today, there's two big questions that we're gonna start to answer, and those big questions is are, is that controversy real? This stuff about evil, devil, and uh, is this really real? And, and there is really a, co- a controversy going on. Are we really living in a war zone? And if so, what's the nature of that war zone? So, what's the nature of that controversy? We may not have time to answer fully that second question today, but if uh, uh, because of time I have to stop before I have fully developed that second question, we'll pick up from where we stopped last week, as we did. Uh, I mean, next week, as we did last uh, last time. So, but before we go any further, let's bow our heads because we need. The presence of the Holy Spirit here to walk us through. Dear Father in Heaven, I have no right to be here today because I know who I am and I know where I've been. But I'm here because in the name of Jesus, I'm here because Jesus washed me away, and I ask. Yet in his powerful name for you to wash us all clean from anything that can put separation between us and you. Wash us away from our past sins. Not only those that are here, but those that are watching through the internet as well. I ask you, dear Lord, for you to uh, pour over us, your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that uh, inspired the prophets that wrote the Bible. May it Guide us today as we read and meditate about scripture with you. Bless us. Uh, anoint my mount and help me to speak what you want to speak. And most importantly, help, help all your church to hear the words you want to be heard. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we stopped in the parable of the sower, I mean uh, the parable of the tares, and we saw that uh, there was a miniature of the great controversy going on there, where the enemy had planted bad seed, the angels wanted, okay, let's get rid of the problem, and God said, no, wait, we have to let evil fully Grown so we can differentiate the tears from the wheat. Like if we do things now, we will have casualties. We will have we will cause more harm than good. And uh, that helps us to understand why certain things go wrong in life, and we don't have answer when we need it. But uh, as we answer those two big questions, we have to go back. All the way to the beginning. Uh, we have to look on the origin of that uh, great controversy. So I invite you guys to open up scripture in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to start by uh, looking Genesis 131 because there's a very important piece of information that's given there. The information that's given there is that uh, uh, earth was made perfect. Scripture says then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the six days. So everything that he made was very good and including humanity. So if everything was good why do we have problems? If we fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, we see something else going on there. We see uh, that God's character had been attacked. Uh, if you read uh, Genesis 3, one, we read, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. Which the Lord God had made. And he had said to the woman. Indeed. Has God said. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Did God really say that? Like he's basically saying the opposite. Of what uh, God uh, had said. He said, that he said the complete opposite. And uh, he continues. The woman jumps in to try to defend God, as he says in uh, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is the, in the middle of the garden, uh, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or You will die. What was the serpent's answer? On verse 3, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Let's stop right there. What's really happening? What? We have to come to the realization that at that point on the story, somebody had lied. Either the serpent was right or God was right. And the serpent said insinuated you won't die. And what that really says God is a liar. God's not speaking the truth to you. But the serpent is not it's not a, it's not enough for the serpent to stop there. She continues. Her defamation, was, she says in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and uh, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What the serpent is really saying here God's not good. He's not only lying, but he does not have your best interests in mind. He says he's our love, but he's not because he does not want you to have what he has. He wants to rule over you. He's a tyrant. He's oppressing you. That is what the serpent was saying. And uh, uh, let me stop right there and uh, ask at that point on the story a reader, could the reader know uh, that evil existed before it? Before that event, is a reader of the scripture enabled to know that there was an evil? Well, some may say, I can read in Revelation about the war, the the dragon being cast out. I can read in Ezekiel but only looking to here, Yes, you could uh, find out that there was evil still. Why? Because somebody's lying. We we may not know who is lying at this point, but somebody's lying. And if somebody's lying, evil was already there. So how can we discover who is lying? That's the, the biggest question on that controversy. Who is lying? So, uh, right after that, we see something. We see Jesus coming up onto the scene. We see what some call the proto-evangelion, like a uh, prototype of the good news, the first gospel being preached. And in a very astonished promise, which, as Genesis 3:15 reads, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your hip your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We see here two things. We see here that that controversy someday will get to an end. When, when a descendant of the woman that. Uh, students of the Bible had identified as Jesus, the Messiah. He would come to save us. And on the process, he would be mortally wounded on the cross. But in doing so, he also, by the same act, would inflict a mortal and final wound to our enemy, to the devil. And that's what the whole story of the Bible starts to unravel from that point on. And uh, we know that Jesus came. We know that he uh, inflicted uh, that blow on the enemy. Why we know that? In Revelation 12, the text we read in the beginning, we see that... Uh, And if you open your Bibles with me, you see that like that great battle where the devil was finally exposed, when he was finally cast out, and when he was finally identified to who he is, the Bible says uh, on chapter 7, In war broke in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon with his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole earth. He was cast to the earth, and these angels were cast with him. And why he was casted? Then I heard a loud voice, verse 10, saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast out. And why? Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That they did not love their lives to death. So why the devil was finally cast out after so many centuries? Because at the cross, when the blood of the lamb was shed, that first accusation that God was a liar, he was not good, was finally made clean throughout the whole universe. The whole universe knew so he had no more access to heaven. He had no more access to be accusing us before God as he did before, as we're going to see uh, next time we meet. And, uh, but we still have to live with uh, sin and uh, this situation for a little longer. Because although the devil is defeated, uh, as we learn in Matthew... We still need to wait a little longer more. So everything comes to clear. And God can be surgical and remove evil and evildoers once and for all. And uh, where does this leave you? Uh, We have to go to really understand why that controversy started. We have to go out the way. To the book of Ezekiel on chapter 28, we have a, a very interesting description. Chapter 28 starts with uh, in verse 2 saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord, because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I'm a god, and I sit on the seat of gods, and in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man. In not a God, through you set your heart as the heart of God. Here, the beginning of chapter 28, is talking about the actual king of Tyre. But if you keep reading some Bibles, uh, it's easier to notice than others. If you keep reading t- to verse 12, on verse 12, it's an, there's another reference. Now talk again about the king of Tyre. Some Bible says for the first one prince and to the second one king. But other Bible should say kings throughout. And that's a kind of confusing. But in Hebrew, there's two different uh, uh, words. One word, the first word that uh, my Bible translates as prince, but some older Bibles still translate as king. Means king, means a ruler, yes, but it's a ruler that's subject. another higher ruler. And that second word that shows up in verse 12, as we're going to see, describes a suzerain king, like a king that has nobody on top of him. He's the big boss. And we see that terminology throughout scripture. We see that there's, uh, as Paul says, there's and on the heavenly realms that control things here on earth. They influence Rulers, they influence people to do their bidding. And it's even funny, I don't know if you ever noticed that, that in Samuel 7, I think Samuel 7, when uh, people ask for a king, Samuel is all heartbroken and God says, don't worry, they are not talking about you, they want to replace me. And then they insisted, we want a king. And then God says, okay, they will have a king. But that word that's translated as a king is the same word that's translated as a prince here on my Bible. Like, he's saying, they want a king, they will have a ruler, but that ruler has to still be subject to me, because Israel still my share. And we're going to get more into that next week as we get into the ins and outs of that great controversy. But for now, uh, as we f- move along to verse 12, uh, I don't want you to to get caught up just on the words. Because the description of that second king of Tyre does not fit a human king at all. Like he says, son of man, take up the lamentations for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. No human can claim that. So that clearly, even if you don't know the ins and outs of the Hebrew of that that passage to make that distinction by yourself, just by looking by the two descriptions, you see that that's not a human being. It's somebody, a heavenly being or a spiritual being. And the first king is just a puppet that's like following his God, following his ruler, and imitating his behavior here on earth so as we continue he says like you were in Eden the garden of God who was in Eden God but God is the one talking so it's not him Adam and Eve but they are long gone on that story who else was there Satan the serpent So that's who is talking here. That's why Revelation 12 that we just read identifies Satan as the dragon, as the serpent of old, because they are all the same being. And uh, as you keep reading, uh, sorry, as you keep reading, it says, every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz. The diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, the gold, the workmanship of your settings and the sock your sockets was in you. All the days that you were created, they were prepared. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Like, I don't know if I have it down to you, but that's a language of the sanctuary. How those stones are the stones that are used on the sanctuary? They were on the stole of the of the, the priests, and uh, so it's a that passage is heavily loaded with uh, sanctuary language. But uh, who was that being? Like a, uh, if we keep following, uh, we say. You are the anointed cherub who covers. That's verse 15. Uh, and I place you there. You are the holy mountain of God. That's verse 14 and verse 15. And uh, you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You are blameless in, you, in your ways. Until iniquity or until unrighteousness was found on you. Do you guys know what's... uh? covering cherub. Like uh, when uh, Moses was ordered to build a tabernacle that was a copy of the heavenly uh, tabernacle, it, uh, it was ordered to make the Ark of the Covenant that uh, was a symbol of God's throne. The cover of the Ark, the because of that, was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, we had two Cherub, two Cherubim. And they were covering the ark, like in reverence. They, basically, they are the, the royal guard, guard if I may, of God. Those are the angels that uh, serve God before his throne. So, Lucifer was one of them. Lucifer was one of them. And, uh, it said that he walked amidst on the thrones, and uh, I mean, amidst of the stones of fire. That's language of also the heavenly council, like the place where God meets with His people to handle His judgments. So he had access to the inner circle of God, and he was perfect. God created him blameless full of beauty, until iniquity was found in him. He got corrupted. How he got corrupted in a place like heaven? The next verse, verse 16, uh, gives us a little bit more of the backstory. Oops. Could you go one back? Aaron is like very laggy today. Uh, So, uh, let's read it. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you uh, as a profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, all covering Kirib, from the midst of the stones of fire." I just have to call your attention to something. Uh, here it says that he was judged, he was cast out, and he was destroyed. All those verbs, they at least in English, they convey the idea that the deal is done, that that was done way back. But that was not so. The problem is that uh, Hebrew, it has uh, different uh, verbal modes. And one of those modes is kind of, uh, uh, it's meant to be a prolapsis. Prolapsis. You guys know what a prolapsis is? No? It's uh, something that's like, uh, it's described as if happening now or already happened, but it's actually a figure of speech. something that's going to happen in the future. If I come into Tony and I say, Tony, you're dead meat. I'm not saying that Tony is dead meat, but I'm describing his fate, his doom, on the future. So that's the same type of language. Hebrew has a verbal mode that conveys that idea. We don't have that in English, but we use a similar idea with some of our idioms. So what it's really saying here, it's hard to translate. He's saying that, like, I started to judge you at this point, and I start the process of casting you out. But that will happen with certainty. In the same way, when I say, you're dead meat, I'm really saying, I want to kill you, and I'm going to do it. You better run. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, so that getting out of the way, here, we found out that when he did this trade, uh, it 's not that he went from door to door, but that trade caused him to sin, caused him to cause God to start that judicial process that one of the biggest milestones of that process was the Calvary, but it 's still under underway, and soon hopefully will finish. But the very source of this was this trade, and what this trade is all about the word trade or traffic. Can also be translated as slander. It's the same word, same root. Like a, and there's another text on the Bible that has the exact same word, using it in a very revealing way. And that text is from the book of Leviticus, 19, verse 16, where we say, You shall not go about as a slander among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So, uh, this text is basically defining the character of the devil. The devil is a slander. Uh, the devil was a slander and a murderer from the beginning. That's what uh, John says in his gospel. And uh Why? Because he started to go door to door, angel to angel, heavily being to heavenly being, telling the same lies he told to Adam and Eve. Like, God is not good. He's, uh, he's holding things. He is not all that. And why he told that? In order for us to understand why, we have to understand uh, how He really got corrupted. Like the next few verses are very enlightening. Uh, We read, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by the reason of your splendor. And uh, that's telling. Why that's telling? Because he started to feel proud about himself. And uh, in his proud, he started to think, oh, I'm out that. And uh, as we keep reading, uh, God says, I cast you to the ground. Again, the same type of uh, uh, verb is being used. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may have seen you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you, and it has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the people, are appalled at you. You have become terrified. And you cease to be forever. Here, he started to be proud of himself. He started to feel all his beauty, all his perfection. But he had no reason to be, because he was not beautiful for anything that he had done. He was beautiful and perfect because God had created him so. So he was trying to usurp all the praise, all the honor, all the glory that god had uh that was worth to for, to god himself that's why in isaiah 14 14 we we see that he's also describing his fall he's quoted saying i will ascend above the heights of the clouds and i will be like the most high he wanted to take god's place he wanted to have the worship that was only uh do to God but he could not face God in a in a power match because there's no way a creature could win uh, from uh, all powerful God so what he resorted to he resorted to deception he resorted to lies he resorted to gossip and what he was really telling you is that your God is not good. Like, I better, like, if I rule, I can, go to, I can do a better job than Him. And that's the whole uh, core of the great controversy. That's the whole core of the great controversy. That's why the Bible depicts uh, a real conflict, a conflict between those two parties. Uh, we saw a little bit of that conflict so far. We're going to see more as we see Job and Daniel. But we saw already some of that. And uh, that, in that conflict, we saw how it started. It started by this, when the same deceptions that uh, Satan had in, on his own heart. He started to tell others, and then not satisfied, he came to pollute it. Our first fathers, but he chose on his own volition to do so and to plant, to see those uh, doubts. And uh, as we read the Gospels, it's overwhelming the reality of the uh, evil forces, devils that are waiting. We see Jesus going against those powers again and again and again, and we see this throughout the the new the New Testament. We see this throughout the New Testament. So, uh, that brings a question. What is really the, uh, we know that that conflict is real, but what's the real nature of this controversy? Because if God is all powerful, how can even be a controversy? How can anyone be at war with the omnipotent God, the only logical conclusion to that question is that uh, that war is a war about character. God's character is at play here. Who and what you believe determines which side you have on this battle. And uh, we saw already on the first part of this series that the character of God is love. There's no two ways about it. But Satan is disputing that claim. And we saw that in his first accusation to Adam and Eve, he said, said no, God's not love, he's a liar, he's a controller, he's a tyrant, and his government is not good as well. So when we saw as well that uh, in uh, the same accusation coming out in uh, Matthew 13, that we studied. Last last time. Uh, when the. Angels asked God. Did you not plant the good seed? They were asking. What did you do wrong? Were you. Are you not good? Why that's happening? And we see. As we see in. A, in a Ezekiel 28. From the beginning. He had that. That. Uh, Bent smear God's character. And we're going to see this more even clearly next week on the case of Job. We don't have time for this today, but I want to look a little closer in one case that we can draw a practical application for us today. That's Matthew 4. And uh, uh, on there, uh, we can see clearly that that conflict is about God's character. And the only way to win that battle is through a demonstration of uh, God's love. Before we go to Matthew, let me tell you a little story. Uh, When uh, one of my daughters, when she was like two or three years old, she had uh, uh, like seizures. She started to have seizures. And that was something that uh, for me and Tanya was dreadsome because we didn't know why. And we started to like go to doctors and we spent, I don't know how many months researching, and she was having those seizures quite often. And the doctor saying, like we have to find the cause because if we don't find the cause that can cause, if she keeps having that, that can end up having permanent damage, and uh, we had to subject her for a lot of exams, and uh, I think that was the first time in her life that uh, somebody has to had to draw blood from her, and I can not imagine on her perspective some ugly guy coming with a needle this big to draw blood from her, and uh, I had to hold her, Tanya had to hold her, and I can remember she looking at me, she was not talking, but I I was feeling like, daddy, why are you letting those guys hurt me, like uh, I could not explain to her, like she, she didn't have, she was too young to understand, but her uh, look at it all. Like, uh, but there was more to the story that, uh, than she could even possibly understand. She didn't know that, that because of that hurt that she was feeling, we are getting close to find out what was the problem and to uh, get her cured. Uh, but it was hard for me to look at her and see it. And that's what God feels when uh, we look at him and we ask, why God? We sometimes don't have the mental categories to understand here in this life. And he looked at us. We look at him as Catherine was looking at me and breaks his heart in the same way broke mine. And uh, why? Because he knows that like a uh, Unless that controversy follows its course, and everything gets out of the open, we will never have the peace and the love that he wants for us, that we deserve it. Uh, With that in mind, let's open our Bibles in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Is the temptation of the desert, on the desert story. So, my Bible starts like that. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fast 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came... And uh, and said, if you are the son of God, command those stones to become bread. What he was doing here? He was playing with his appetites. He was playing with the urges that we have, that are good. We all like to eat. We all need to eat. It's part of our life. But uh, when not subjected to God, they can be perverted. And he, was, he started by planting a doubt on, his, on Jesus' heart. Like, if you're really the son of God, do this and feed yourself. And uh, Jesus uh, answered. It's written, verse 4. Men shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth mount of God. So uh, he said, like, it's not for me to, it's not for me to uh, take God's, God's place. I have to do His will. He subjected even his hunger. He just what he was uh, needing to God. And uh, then the story continues. Uh, verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the son of God... Throw yourself down, for it's written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you, lest your dash of your foot against the stone. What he was really saying there, what was the temptation all about? Was about like, or entitlement was about like uh, what God uh, promised us that we will have in his time but sometimes we want to have in our time and what was uh, Jesus' answer to that one he said it's written again you shall not tempt the Lord your God so that uh shun the devil away one more time, but are you noticing a pattern how Jesus is answering those questions with scripture? why? Because only through scripture we can see God's true character, and behind each one of those. Allegations that the devil is doing. He is actually insinuating. That God didn't want Jesus well-being. That God didn't really love him. But then. He really shows. His true colors. On. uh, The. Last temptation. In verse 8. Again. The devil took him up on a exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all those things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Here, uh, in uh, trying to get Jesus by his greed, by showing up everything, all the power that the earth had to offer and offering him to this to him, only and only if he bowed down and worshiped him. And in here, the devil shows his true colors. He shows that he wants to take God's place, he shows that he wants worship the worship that's only due to God. And, uh, uh, the questions that he's making here is like, who is worthy to be worshipped? Who should we love? Don't love this God. I can do better. I can satisfy you right now. You don't need to wait for a second coming for something that you don't even know is going to happen. I can satisfy you right now. I can give you instant gratification. And uh, in a way he was doing the same thing and he keeps doing the same thing to us that Absalom did for uh David. And you guys know the story, right? Absalom he set his uh seat by the entrance of the town and everybody that came to be judged by David he would say, no oh, no, come come here. Oh if uh, I was king I would Get you out of this trouble. we will do such and such thing. And this way he was turning hearts. From David to himself. And that's the work of Satan till today. And why I'm telling this to you. Because every time you feel tempted. Every time you feel. That you're going to fall. What makes you tremble. Is those same very questions. Our, the core of all the temptations we have today is the same that uh, Jesus was tempted and are the same that uh, Adam and Eve are tempted and how boils to who is, occupies the first place on our hearts do we really trust in God do we really believe he is worthy of our love of our worship or may I get better through a different way that's what really boils to and that's why uh that is really uh so important to us. Uh in one of um, on my last shoot in Brazil, we operated a, a health clinic. And we had uh like all sorts of like uh people that came with like addictions, uh with all sorts of things. And there was an interesting case of somebody that he was heavily addicted and he w- had been heavily addicted for long and uh he tried all the times to get out of it and he couldn't and uh he he felt he didn't have strength to get out of his addiction and uh uh we started to uh best- on on top of like the uh, mental uh, counselors and the psychiatrists that we had in staff, I started to meet with this guy regularly. And we started to talk about the love of God. And only that. And when, after, I think, two or three months, went down on him, that God really loved him, that there was somebody that despite his own shortcomings, loved him and gave a life to him. And even if he was the only one, he would still die for him. That actually changed his outlook. And he started to show signs of improvement. Because uh, he felt loved. And once he finally overcame, and as far as I lost contact with him, like a few years ago, uh, when I moved to the States, but uh for as long as I was in town, he was sober. Uh, and I have strong reason to believe that he's still sober. But uh, we had a, a joint session with uh, the psychologist that was helping him and I, and I. And we were asking, what was the trigger for him to really overcome his addiction? And he said, like, when I understood that God really loved me. That like, I can relapse, I can go down again, but he still loves me and he wants me to bring back. And when I go down, that hurts him, but he still loves me and he doesn't give up. That filled me with hope because I know that like if I want to love him back, I have to say no for the things that I previously say yes. I have to change. And I didn't have the strength to do it myself, but I also discovered uh, what the Bible says, and he was quoting uh, the book of Ephesians, when they say that I can do all things in Jesus. And he was right. That's why the devil does not want us to know that God loves us. Because when we really know God's love that can bro- break out sorts of cycles, and uh, that brings me for my last passage of today. I want to bring you to a small book on the Bible. It's a uh, First John chapter two. We're gonna start to to read it. And uh, uh, open your Bible in First John chapter two. We're gonna start to read on uh, verse fifteen. When you find, say, "Amen." Already, right. so let's read it. Let me put on the screen. Do not love the word or the things in the word. If everyone love, if anyone loves the word, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me stop right here. The whole issue on our lives wherever you're looking on the macro great controversy scheme of things, or just on the micro uh, cause of this controversy that's your own life, the issue is the same. The issue is who you love. The issue is, is God worth it? That's why John is saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if we start to love those things, things that God asked us, will, will appear increasingly impossible, hard to do. We won't want it to do it. But if we keep our love in God, then his love can be in us and can enable us to transform our lives. And that's why the devil does not want you to know that our God loves you. And uh, then he continued. For all that is in the word, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the word. And the word is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. God wants you to live eternally with him. If we keep loving the world, or whatever alternative Satan flashes to us, we're going to pass with those things here. But if we love God above everything else, we will remain forever. Let me break down that uh, verse 15, I mean verse 16 for you. What's the lust of the flesh that's indicated that? And you notice that I put two passages in here in parallel. The first temptation and uh, the first thing that uh, Satan said to Eve, because they are one and the same. And uh, those talk about our physical needs that God promised to take care of it for us. And uh, that includes like uh, food that includes even sexuality that are supposed to be good things but that we can pervert if you use in a way that does not edify God and again the main question here is like who is the God I serve do I love really or heavenly father or do I love my own pleasures then uh, the Second, the lust of the eyes. Note here that I put the third temptation and uh, the second strike uh, of the devil. And uh, in there, we see that the lust of the eyes is uh, whatever that uh, attracts us, that makes us desire, is our selfish desires. That are usually contrary to what God thinks is better for us. Again, I want to remind you from the story I told you for the, for the kids. Like if Tanya was just looking for her desires that day, she would not be here to tell the story. Because she heard the Father and walking on the unknown, obeying, not knowing all the reasons, she is here. And the same is our reality today. And the third question is the pride of life. And uh, that is uh, the pride of life is like when you see what God offers you. Uh, and that's not enough for you. You want more. You want to have what is his. And how many times we feel that we are more important than God when we choose our pet uh, sin and we go for it. Although our conscience is accusing him, no, don't do this, son. God wants you to do better. And uh, I want you to leave you with that note uh, that God wants you to be happy. He really loves you. And everything he does on that uh great controversy scheme is to save you. Everything he does is to make you whole. He wants you uh, to understand that uh, who you love is a matter of life and death. If you love him above everything else, you're going to be safe. And that will help you to surrender even more And to make some decisions. But if you are divided. Between the love of God. And the love of something else. Even if that something else is yourself. You are on the other side. That's why. It's important for us Christians. Living today. Living on the. Last minutes. Of the story of this world. To. Be right with God every day. And to love him above everything everything else. Don't let anything to become an idol in your life. Don't let anything to uh, take the place that's rightfully God's. Don't let when the devil comes to you, tempting you and flashing his immediate gratification, remember that God loves you so much And if he says, don't go, he has a reason. Trust in him and prove the devil wrong. And uh, because that's the only way for us to be on the winning side. And you want to be on the winning side of this thing. So as we close today, I have to challenge you to really this week and until we meet again, look to yourself, look to your motivations. Why you do what you do? Do you do it because you want to love God back? Because you want to honor him in everything you do? Or you are doing by any other reason? To praise somebody? To gratify your own desires? Or whatever? Go through your motivations and see which God you serve. The God of self? Oh, the God Almighty, because He is the only one that loves you, and He is the only one that can and will take you home. Let's pray, dear Father in Heaven. Thank you so much, because Scripture is abundantly clear about your love. We know through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that God is love but you know God sometimes we feel so weak because we keep falling uh, to the gossip of the devil and we keep believing his lies we keep wanting things that you don't want us to have or we keep wanting to do things on our own way and doing that we spoil even the good things that we put on our lives we ask you dear Lord help us to really realize to answer by ourselves that question who is being truthful who loves me more and uh, in my perspective there is just one answer Calvary had showed to me that only God, the God of Calvary, the God that died for me is the one that loves me most. Help me to never forget that and help every one of us here today and those watching through the internet to never forget you loved us so much that you became one of us and died for us and now you live, so we can have assurances that one day that conflict will be over. And we will be with you forever. While we are here. Help us to. Debunk. Our. Idols. Help us to take them down. Regardless if those idols are addictions. Sex. Even good things like sex, family, food. Or even the self. Help us to take those idols down so nothing can have first place on our hearts. Help us never lose sight of your love and help us to sing your praises as we read the love letter you wrote for us, your, your Bible, the scripture. Fill us your, with your Holy Spirit and help us to hold tight on you because you promise that we can do all things in Jesus. So, in his name, I claim on those promises for myself and for all of those here watching through the internet or here on the sanctuary. May we stay faithful. May we stay full of your love in our hearts. And may we do everything to your honor, and to your glory. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midland